right, morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Deborah, and I'm on the team here at Central Vineyard, which is, I love doing that. This morning, we're going to continue our series looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And do you know what? It's been a few weeks we've been doing it, so you may have missed some if you've been on holiday or, you know, just couldn't join us for a week. I really commend you to go back and just have a listen on the website or through your preferred streaming service. This week, we're going to have a look at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. Um, But before we get into that, let's just pause and pray. Father God, we thank you for your presence with us here this morning. We thank you for your word. I ask that my words would be pleasing to you this morning. What's not useful, I pray it would just fall away to nothing. And we ask that you would go on drawing us nearer to you and transforming us into the likeness of your son, our saviour, Jesus Christ. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Um, Before I start whistling, do I need to move anything? Oh, okay. How's that? Is that better? Yay, no whistling. You don't need to hear me whistling. Right, let's have a look at our scripture this morning. The words are going to come up here behind me if you're in the room. And if you're at home, hopefully they're going to be on the screen. Um, You can also turn to your Bible and have a read along. So Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for a snake, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? I feel I've read that wrong. Which of you, if his son asks for bread? (laughs) Just going to be up here in all my brokenness this morning, everyone. If your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, I'm pretty sure the last time I brought the word, it was about prayer as well. And um, I talked about how we're called into an intimate relationship with our Father. Don't worry, I'm not going to repeat that talk, but I am going to build on it, so do stick with me. Um, I just want to bring to mind a couple of points before I get into the detail. In chapter 7, Jesus is starting to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so we're coming to the end of that. And he continues to underline the connection between loving God and loving other people. In chapters 6 and 7, there's a thread and a rhythm that's particularly important, and it's this. We think initially it's about prayer, and of course those words are absolutely about prayer. But actually, if you just sit with that text for a little bit longer, you might notice something else, and it's this. Jesus kind of has this way of highlighting that how we relate to others is connected to how we relate to God. Um, And in our In our passage this morning, Jesus is going to, in a very subtle but unapologetic way, underline that connection again, that how we relate to God is connected to how we relate to other people. We'll touch on a couple of metaphors to help us get to grips with that, Um, get to grips with prayer being a relationship, and that there are these dynamics that exist in all relationships, actually, just as there are in our relationships with people. And so how we connect with each other is really important and connected to how we connect with God. So let's take a quick line by line through our reading. If you've got it handy, however you've got it. 
verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. So if you've been around church for any amount of time, those verses are going to be quite familiar. And I know when I first encountered these verses, I read all kinds of teaching and devotionals that basically alluded to these words are to prayer. Absolutely. And that makes sense. Ask, seek, knock. Okay. That's like, let's, let's come before God and ask and ask and ask. And I love that um, maybe a quirk of the translation, but they even make their own acronym. Ask, seek, knock, A-S-K. It's like there's a reminder in the text to that's what we're called to do. There's more to it than that, and if we want to go into it in a more than one-dimensional way, um, it's really important to remind ourselves who Jesus was talking to in the Sermon on the Mount. First off, he's absolutely addressing his disciples. But second off, he's addressing the crowd. And this crowd are following Jesus because they want to hear what he's got to say and they want to learn from him. And that's a bit like us here in church, isn't it? We've got people who've been around church for a really long time, and then we get people who kind of turn up and like, what's, what's this all about? I kind of want to find out what this Jesus thing is all about. And I'm going to go on a limb here and say, as much as today, I think those people listening to Jesus were going to run into doubt at some point. They were going to doubt, you know, can I do this prayer thing? Just as maybe we have. They were going to doubt God's love for them. Is it safe to trust him? And I think that those things that we experience too so when we read the text, we can actually find ourselves landing on, God is telling me to ask for stuff, and then I'm going to get it. Ask, and you'll receive. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it's going to be opened. So we land in this place where we kind of go, right, I've asked, and I'm ready to receive. My doors are open. What's coming in? And there's nothing wrong with that, but I think there is a much more to it than that. So actually, rather than kind of landing on that receiving, they think there's an invitation here to land on the asking. Jesus is kind of addressing our humanity, really, more than anything here. It's not just like, let me tell you how to pray, because we've done that previously. This is talking about how do we do this asking? And he's talking to the gener not just the generations that are coming after, but the people in front of him, and all of us, and all the people who are going to come after us. It's going to speak to all the doubt that they're going to experience and we're going to experience and everybody else is going to experience because doubt is really normal. Jesus knows that we're going to struggle in prayer. We're going to struggle to press in and ask for things. So what Jesus is underlining rather than the asking and the receiving is actually God's goodness in the liminal space between the asking and the receiving. It's really important to just pause on that because it's so easy for us to go, yeah, yeah, I know God is good. I know up here that God is good. I know God is good to you, and I know that God is good to you, and that's, I'm okay with that. There's more to it, though. When we look at those words, ask, seek, and knock, it's an invitation to us. It requires a response. We are seek and knock, and then there's a response. And just for the language geeks here, a more, a more literal translation is go on asking, go on seeking, go on knocking, or keep asking. Keep seeking, keep knocking. But that doesn't always fit with the tidy way that we like to use language, does it? So we get this, ask, seek, knock. But actually the implication, the instruction to us is go on asking. 
Keep on seeking. Keep on keeping on. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can have a tendency to measure how well did I ask for what I wanted. I measure that by, did I get it? And when I was preparing this, I couldn't stop thinking about the dining tables we had at primary school, right? They were octagonal tables, and there was salt and pepper in the middle, and one of the big kids had to get the salt if you wanted the salt. So you'd be like, seven years old, pass the salt. Uh, no. Okay, then. Pass the salt, please. Salt comes your way. Right. This is not that. It's not, did I use the right words? Did I use the right tone of voice? Did I say please? Did I say thank you? God is not a year six at your dining table at primary school, reluctantly passing you the salt because you asked nicely. God is not that for sure. Okay. God wants us to think about that relationship, that space between the asking and the receiving. And I keep calling it liminal space because I don't know what else to call it. It's like, please may I have the salt. And God's like, yeah, I'm going to give you the salt, but there's some stuff that's going to happen in the middle, right? And that's the interesting bit. So let's have a look at verses 9 and 10 to unpick what I mean a little bit more. Verses 9 and 10. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? I don't like snakes. Let's really chew on these words. Um, When I used to come to this in my devotional, way back in 2004 when I was a bright, shiny Christian, I'd read lots of words about cultural context, and I'd read other things that would give me permission to gloss over this whole piece of scripture. So actually preparing a talk is a great invitation to pause and kind of sit with what the words are saying. And what we've got going on here is this picture, this truth of a, a really powerful and intimate relationship, probably the most powerful intimate relationship of a loving parent and a child. These analogies of bread to stone and fish to snake, they kind of lay out this truth before us, and we get to decide how we deal with this truth. That God doesn't provide some lackluster or superficial substitution for the things that we ask for. That's not who God is, right? Does anybody here use click and collect or supermarket delivery services? It's not a trick question. Why is not? Why is not? Let me tell you why I don't use those services. I love cherry yogurt. True story. I love cherry. And it's got to be the right brand for, you know, the right amount of sugar, no fat, right pieces of cherry. It's the only one I like. That's what I like. I don't use those services because if they don't have that cherry yogurt, I don't want them to say to me, no cherry yogurt, here's some Brussels sprouts. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know Brussels sprouts. No. I don't like Brussels sprouts. They make me, actually, I can't physically tolerate them. Sorry, Brussels sprouts. Sorry, Christmas lovers. Sorry, Brussels God isn't a supermarket who just wants to fill your order with something that kind of matches up to what you asked him for. That's not who God is. He's not going to give you Brussels sprouts for your cherry yogurt. He's not going to give you something like a snake that's actually going to really harm you. I know Brussels sprouts aren't going to harm me, by the way. God isn't someone who takes what we ask for and gives us something that's going to harm us. And I really felt this morning, maybe somebody here needs to hear that God isn't going to take your request and answer it with something that is going to do you harm, okay? So we see Jesus kind of casting this compelling vision for the goodness of God. 
And it's this that should motivate our hearts away from that human impulse of being wary and, oh, what's that all about? Into kind of trusting and having confidence in God's love for us. Let's crack on with our verse run through. Verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It's this kind of perspective that can be marred by our own earthly experiences when it comes to God for asking things. Jesus is saying that those of you who love your children, or your nieces, or your nephews, or your grandchildren, or your friends' children, or your God's children, or the children around you who you love, whoever it is, if they were to come to you and say, hey, I really, 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 really want this thing, and I really, really, really need it, cherry yogurt, I really need it, you had the ability to give it to them, largely you would. You absolutely would if it were within your power to do that because of how much you love them. When you're a parent or when you're dealing with children that you love, you're not going to withhold from them as much as it's in your power. As far as you're able to, you're going to meet that request, aren't you? And as much as we love our children, whichever children we're encountering, and we do, at some point we're going to realize that we have a finite ability to love our children. We're, gonna, we're finite in our resources. We're finite in our money. We might be finite in our ability to be present for some reason. And there's no judgment in that. We are finite as human beings. At some point, we're going to come to that place where actually we can't do that anymore. So whilst we're limited as givers to our children, what Jesus is inviting us to lay hold of is that God is not limited. In his goodness, God is not limited. He's not finite. He has unlimited resources and he is unlimited love and he loves to give it to you. You might be thinking, do you know what, Hixie? I've, I've heard this before. I've heard it before. But the point of Jesus' words here is to draw our attention not to God being some kind of slot machine of goodness. You know, it's like I'm going to put my ask, my seek, my heart in there. And out comes some goodness, right? Whether that's a thing or the money for your next venture or whatever it is. But the point of the text is to anchor our hearts and our minds and our requests to the truth of God's goodness, of his love for us. And that's, we wait for that in that liminal space between our asking and our receiving, okay? So our reading is encouraging us to think a bit harder about what prayer is, and I want to share some quotes with you this morning. Ronald Rollheiser said this. He said, prayer is an act of lifting heart and mind to God. It is relaxing into God's goodness. And every time I read that, I kind of go, oh, relaxing into God's goodness. Relax. I haven't got to strive. I forget to relax a lot, you probably tell. Dallas Willard said this, he said, prayer is talking to God about what we're doing together. And finally, our good friend John Mark Comer said, prayer is a back and forth conversation with God that comes out of depth of relationship. I'm hoping that you're spotting a theme there in those quotes. I don't know what your experience with prayer is. As I mentioned, I've been a disciple since early 2004, and sometimes prayer has been really, really difficult. Yeah, when I stand up here, it's usually in the midst of, I've gone through some struggle. And what's the math? 17 and a half years I've been a Christian, and it's never been easy. <laughs> I'm okay with that. God is good. 
the prayer for me, it always centers around relationship and it's a dynamic thing, right? Any relationship is a dynamic thing. It's not static because there's two of you in that relationship. Prayer involves two people. It's a conversation that takes on our mind and our will and our heart and our emotions. It's kind of a place of communion where we come together in our brokenness and at the heart of all of that is that idea of asking, of request. And that can sometimes be a problem for people, asking and request. Um, I think it can be uncomfortable for so many of us. And if we're going to do prayer the way that we're invited to here in Matthew 7, you know, the go on asking to continually come back, then I think we probably need to address why it might be a problem. And sometimes that problem is pride. There's a writer called Alina Tugend. Um, She's an American writer. She wrote in the New York Times, she said, we are a society conditioned and largely based on helping ourselves. She says, look at how many self-help books there are out there to just do it yourself. You don't, you know, you don't even need to do that. Just... You don't need any help, just get a book. Even the supermarkets have got us doing it ourselves with the self-service checkouts. I've got a thing about supermarkets this morning. We don't have to, you know, if you do the self-service thing, you haven't got to engage with anyone at the checkout. And as an introvert, you think, oh, yeah, I'd love that. But actually, I'm starting to think that might not be good for me and that might not be good for other people because there's no engagement Large swathes of our society are conditioned to do us. You know, that whole, you do you, I'm going to do me. You do what's good for you, I'm going to do me. That's what, we're good. And society is just echoing with this clarion call that to be independent people is the way to go. That to be successful is to not have to ask. Alina Tugend goes on to say that in asking, we have to surrender control and that asking is too much for many of us to bear as it is often perceived as a declaration of deficiency. Anybody got a friend? One friend. There's somebody in my life, there's somebody in my life, I always say he wouldn't ask for help if his leg fell off. Right? Asking for help is often perceived as a declaration of deficiency. It's crippling us. It's absolutely crippling us. So if we're going to talk about prayer and this idea of asking and seeking and knocking, we kind of need to have a little look inside ourselves and ask, are we actually able to do this? Are we actually able to ask? Do we struggle or not? And if we do, why do we struggle to ask? For some of us, if we try to approach God as a loving parent or a father, we have this real struggle that, you know, one of those contributing factors is that pride, Pride often comes from a place of injury or trauma or loss from the past. And the root of that is is probably fear, right? If you ask somebody for something, there's fear that they're going to say no. Because how many times have you heard no before? So to come back and to keep asking is to do something that feels really hard. Some of us don't ask because we feel like we're a burden. I don't want to ask. I don't want to trouble you my leg fell off, I'm not going to ask you for help because I just don't want to be a pain. It's fine, I'll work it out, I'll hop. It's all of these fears and mores that kind of keep and keep us, that keep us away from asking. And it sounds like it's simple enough, doesn't it? You know, just ask for help. Don't we say that to our kids? Just, just ask, do you want some help? No. Are you okay? That Yep. Okay. The reality is that asking is a vulnerable thing and it demands at some level that you come face to face with someone else and you take a risk. And whether you notice it or not, 
All our relationships are built on this back and forth, on this asking. If you want intimacy and exchange in any relationship with your spouse or your partner or your children or your friends or your neighbors or anyone, whatever you do, you need to start asking and taking a little bit of risk because that's really essential to our intimacy with each other. Now, I know we're coming out of our pandemic, and how easy was it to ask for help if we had to go into isolation? How many had, like, WhatsApp groups for your neighbors? You know, we're in lockdown, can somebody get some milk? It's relatively easy then, isn't it? Because you feel like, oh, justified asking. I actually, I'm not allowed to leave the house, so I need to ask somebody to bring me some bread and milk or, you know, cherry yogurt. But the point is, in those situations, we, we're pushed into asking. It's not hard. It's kind of we need to do it. But in our day-to-day lives, it's a little bit harder than we want to admit, isn't it? Because it's a bit risky. And I think that the ability to take that risk or not has kept so many of us from believing that God is actually good. Because we don't want to ask him. Well, he's not going to answer my prayer, is he? I'm going to get Brussels sprouts. I don't want Brussels sprouts. And we find it hard to accept it's okay to go on asking God for whatever it is that we we want to ask him for. So what are we going to do about that? How do we ask, seek, and knock? And how do we do those things that are going to move us forward in our relationship with God? Scott McKnight tells us there are two big temptations for us to address when it comes to prayer. And the first is this. We have to admit the temptation that in our humanity, we are often tempted to work things out for ourselves and to try to make them happen in our own power. Does anybody, does that resonate for anybody else? We kind of want to work things out. I'm going to sort this out. Now, I genuinely hate to feel like I'm a burden. Honestly, it's a real thing. And so what I do, and if you just bore you with my strengths finders, I like to collect data points, I like to make connections, and I like to make stories out of them. So what happens is if there's a situation in my life, rather than just sit down and go, hey, God, let's talk about this, what I'll do is I'll sit down and I get that big overthinky, slightly anxious, introverted brain, and I line it all up and I get all the data points and I work it all out and I've got all the solutions, I've got all the future outcomes. It's like I'm doing God a favor. I think, that's okay. God, I got this. I'm being a good daughter. I've solved this myself. I'm on it. And we figure out and we do it in our own abilities and we keep things compartmentalized because it's like, Dude, I, it's, I've thought about this. It's all right, God. It's okay. You've got pandemics. You've got refugees. You've got earthquakes and hurricanes and starving people. You've got all this stuff to deal with. Right, God, you, you do the big stuff. And I'll just, it's fine. I'm going to deal with this over here. And then we end up doing that more and more rather than just talking to God. You know, it's like, well, I, it's fine. I'm, I'm used to doing it now. So, you know, don't worry about it. And then even worse, we do this really human thing of, I'm going to anticipate what God needs, and I'm just going to go do it, and I'm going to hope that he's going to be pleased with me, and then we don't have to talk about it, because I've just, I've anticipated it, and I've done it, and I've solved it, and it's all good. Aren't I amazing? And God kind of goes, I kind of wish we'd had a conversation about it. We do that. We do that because we think it's keeping us safe, but it's false reality. It's not keeping us safe. It's just keeping us boxed in. We stop taking that risk and we box it all in and we think it's safe, but it's not. Okay, second temptation. The second temptation that we can face is we believe that God is distant and uncaring. If God is all-powerful and he doesn't answer my prayer, then he must not care, right? 
If he's all powerful and he can do it, but he didn't answer my prayer, then he's not bothered, yeah? I'm going to give you a slight, slightly silly example. Um, when my son was very, very tiny, we moved overseas to the United Arab Emirates, where it's incredibly hot. And in my wisdom, I had a second baby, who I'm very glad about, but she was incredibly blonde when she was born. When you live in somewhere like that, um, and you've got to do the grocery shopping, and you've got two tiny babies, you want to get a parking space right near the door, like super near the door. So I'd pack everybody up, go down the supermarket, and I'd be like, Jesus, I really need a space right by that door. That'd be amazing. Right? <laughs> didn't always happen. And sometimes it did. And in the moments when I didn't happen, I'd be like, oh God, you're so not bothered, are you? Come on, I've got to take these two tiny precious babies out in this 50 degree heat. Are you having a laugh? Are you not bothered, God? I want to tell you that I think I'm not a stupid woman sometimes. But I'm so limited in my perception of who God is. I want to tell him what to do. I want to tell him God, you know, you've got to do it like this. And I'll paint a picture to him about who he is. You're all powerful, God, and you care about my feelings. Come on, just like this. Do it for me like this. Come on, God. You're all powerful and you care about me. Just fix it. Get me a parking space near the door. Come on, God. My feelings are really hurt, God. Come on, sort this out for me. But that's not always who God is, okay? And there's a whole other talk in there about, you know, how God gets us to work things through for ourselves. But we're talking about prayer, and actually, just because in that timing, God didn't give me the parking space, it doesn't mean that he doesn't care. God is the God who can hold the whole cosmos, the whole universe, and walk with me at the same time, and walk with you at the same time. But for some reason in that moment, I'm like, you're not bothered, you're not interesting, you're just, whatever. You're impressed with some people, and I'm not one of them, so. We forget, or I forget, in those moments what God did to be in a relationship with me. I forget about Jesus being crucified, being buried, and rising again on the third day. In that moment, and that's happened out there for somebody else. It didn't happen for me, although that's where I'm getting it wrong. I've forgotten it, because what I'm thinking is, you didn't do this thing in my timing. You don't care, God. And I can't imagine what God must be thinking. He's probably, you know, head cocked going, really, Deborah? Really? Just come and have a cuddle. Come and sit down. Come and tell me about it. Fortunately for me and for you and everybody else, God can hold all of our emotions, all of our affections, all of our emotions, all of our experiences. He can hold all that we are, and yet we have this temptation to minimize him and his ability to care for us and also minimize our understanding of those things. We don't focus on the fact that he is love, that he's seen us, he's knit us together, he's never leaving us, he's never forsaking us. It kind of just goes out the window the second we believe that he's not present or he doesn't care. I'm kind of going, oh, I've forgotten it. And it's just, just like that. It happens just like that. Oh, I didn't get what I wanted. The point is, we need to rein those temptations in if we're going to move into prayer in the way we've been invited to. Just to pause and to just, right, God is good. We don't have to go into that default thinking that he's, he doesn't care, okay? We just need to be mindful of those temptations creeping up, and then we can move into that deeper intimacy with God. Now, I've got one more issue that I want to cover off, and it might be a bit harder, but I, I want to go there anyway. 
For some of us, the reason that we might not have prayed in months or years, or the reason that we hold on to resentment or anger, the reason you can be listening to me with one ear and kind of go, Deborah, I, I get what you're talking about, but this one is not for me. The reason you might think this bit of scripture is a little bit bonkers is because for lots of people, there's this reality that God does not answer our prayers. We spend months or years asking for something really specific. You might have begged God, you might have done it by faith. Whether you've been praying for a child and it hasn't happened yet, whether you've been praying for a spouse and it hasn't happened yet, okay? Whether you've been praying for a sickness to leave your body and it hasn't gone yet. You might hear these passages where Jesus says, ask, ask, and I'm going to respond. And you might be thinking, are you actually kidding me? We stop asking. That means we stop risking. And we shut ourselves off from God. And in reducing our risk, we take away our vulnerability and we lose our intimacy. And when we do that with God, we do that with the people around us. Let me see if I could tell the story without crying. It'll be a record four times in the service if I do cry, but just bear with me. About four years ago, I was very hurt um, and put down something that God had been asking us as a family to walk into for 10 years. It was unbelievably painful. And I got to a point where I said, God, I cannot talk to you about this anymore. I'm not doing it. I feel humiliated. I feel ashamed. I feel embarrassed. So this is going in a box and it's going to go over there and... Talk about anything you want, but I'm not talking about that with you anymore, and I'm going to have a fresh start. And I got a new job, and off I went to the job. But I operated out of disconnection, because I, wasn't, I thought I wasn't talking to God about this thing that I'd put down after 10 years. But the reality was, I was telling him stuff. God can have a new job. God, can you make it easy? God, can you help me out? But I wasn't in conversation, so I was disconnected. And what happened as I went into that job was I operated in that job out of disconnection with the people around me. Do you know how hard it is to settle into a new role when you're not forming relationships? When you're so disconnected that you, you can't trust the people around you, that you don't know how they're going to respond to you, so you just go through like this. Just got a job to do. Lots of people can carry disconnection for a long time. I'm not one of them. I, I need connection in my life with a a group that I trust. And what happened in being disconnected with God on the big thing that I'd kind of boxed away over there, telling myself it didn't matter, was I then wasn't dis I was disconnected to the people around me and I burnt out actually really fast because I was like, I've boxed this all away and I've, it's going over there and I'm not, I'm not talking about it because it hurts and it's painful and I hate how I feel about it. I was trying to be self-sufficient. I was trying to be self-solving. I was trying to be self-reliant and stick all the other selves in there that we think are really good things to be, right? When we don't want to be a burden. When we don't want to be vulnerable, when we don't want to ask. And what I lost was intimacy with God and connection with the people around me. It's not a confessional. It took me a long time to come back from that burnout and to start trusting God again and to sit and say, this sucks. This hurts. But God never left me. And when I sat down, he said, God's invitation was, just tell me. Just tell me how you feel. And I know I'm not the only one. There'll be people who've prayed with broken hearts for more than 10 years for things. And there'll be people who've prayed for less than 10 years and are still at the edge of, I can't do this anymore. 
I can't talk to you, God, about this anymore. I can't even talk to you, God, anymore. So when we experience this burn of unanswered prayer, when we want to say, what's the point? I don't have an answer to the question of unanswered prayer. I can't because God is so mysterious, so other to me, and he's not fully knowable to me. So then I read this text and there's this pressure that I'm going to ask and I'm going to get. I'm just supposed to trust that God is going to do the thing. And then he doesn't do the thing. I love the mystery of God. It's this great reminder that he is so other and he is so fully not knowable. And I embrace that mystery of element, but I can't hide in that mystery element of God. And when I pray, what I need to come before is that God's goodness. Because if I only live in the mystery, it's magical thinking. It's that slot machine. I put my prayer in, the mystery's going to happen and I'm going to get, no, that's not going to work. I need to appeal to God's goodness. I need to sit in the liminal space where I ask and I know that whatever the answer is, whatever the answer is, even if God has invited me to pray for it and then I have to put it down, whatever the answer is, it's not going to harm me, it's for my good. And that's what that's driving us towards. Keep asking. Go on asking. Go on seeking. Go on knocking. Not because your circumstances changed. Not because we're more lonely or we're more desperate. Not because we're more on fire even. But just simply because of who God is. Because of God's goodness towards us. We need to find a way to sit in the liminal space and look past what's happening. Look past, I didn't get the A, B, C or D. I didn't get whatever it was. Let's break through the idea of finiteness into God's goodness. Move into that space where, remember, God is a loving father who who withholds nothing good from his children. And that's where we appeal to who he is. And we choose. We make a decision to believe in his goodness for us in that liminal space. I was praying this morning before I I came. I'm actually nearly finished. I don't know if the band's coming up to join us. Um, I was praying this morning and I had a picture of, um, I wanted to extend an invitation because I feel like there's an invitation to people to say, do you know what, sometimes I ask and I'm in that liminal space and I just, I hate it. But actually what I really sensed was maybe you can't even hear that invitation to come anymore because you think, I don't know what to ask for anymore. I've asked for this thing and like Deborah said, I put it in a box and I put it over there and I'm just not going to talk about it. And maybe that story of actually I'm not even really in conversation with God is resonating. So I want to extend an invitation. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, I didn't sit on the couch next to God and ask him because I don't know what to ask for because actually I'm so hurt. I'm so angry. I'm so mad about this thing. I just felt like God was saying, why don't you come and say to me, I can't ask you because this is how I feel. And God is saying, if you need to shout at me, I'm the God who holds the cosmos. If you need to rip your throat out telling me how disappointed you are in me, I would rather you do that than we never speak again. And God's promise to us is he's going to meet us in that. So this morning I want to encourage you, if you're asking and seeking and knocking, great, and wait in that liminal space around God's goodness. And trust that whatever that answer is, it's, 
it's so for your good and not to harm you. By the way, that thing that I didn't get, I'm okay that I didn't get it. It took me four years to be okay with not getting it, despite being invited into it for 10 years. And if you feel like you can't ask this morning, just come before God and say, hey God, I don't know what to say to you. I don't know what to say to you, but would you come and meet with me and just give me a sense that you have never left me, that you have never forsaken me, and that you're always with me, and that you love not just everybody out there, but me too. Amen.